how do I show people that I'm listening to them? Even if I've done the same speech a hundred times, how do I make it feel like it's made just for them? I think, you know, one way I've seen people do this is just to match the reaction that people have. You know, when a favorite comedian, you know, said something that an audience went like, ooh, he's like, yeah, I know. And that's just a simple way of showing people that you're paying attention to them and that their reactions and their, their feedback matters. Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Thank you so much for tuning in. You are now listening to Denise Cooper and Closing the Gap. This is where you get answers from experts who have generously decided to share with us their wisdom and experience and sometimes their preferences on why workplaces work and what causes them not to work. So today we are going to talk about organizational change. Many of us are in this process of trying to figure out return to work, what should we be doing, what does it mean for our workplaces, our country to go into change. And it seems like it's it's kind of, we take two steps forward and sometimes we take three steps back. You know, we're coming up on the time when all everybody's gonna be doing strategic plans. And we all know that oftentimes it's an exercise that takes hours upon hours upon hours. And then we get to, oh, I don't know, March. And we wind up with that binder of all those plans sitting on the shelf. Or you might be an organization who actually is focused on implementation of those plans. And somewhere around March or April timeframe, you realize as an executive that people aren't seeming to collaborate across functions. Information may not be going deep enough in the organization so people have an understanding of what they need to do or simply what you thought you were going to get doesn't turn out like it's going to because things have changed. With the great resignation going on, many people made plans but did not consider the fact that their headcount may not be able to take the capacity or produce the capacity to make change. But there's my guest today is Lindsay Kaplan and her strength, her gift to the world is how to help executives make organizational change stick. And so we're going to talk more about it. But before I do, let me tell you a little bit about Lindsay. She's an organizational psychologist and communication strategist, where she helps organizations script their change efforts for the effect they want. Her expertise is in scripting experiences that help boost morale, engagement, and retention for the long time, long term, excuse me. First to entertainment, as a comedy writer in Hollywood on shows such as Curb Your Enthusiasm and Malcolm in the Middle, next to educate for companies like DreamWorks Animation and McKinsey. 
She then began to transform at, into this organizational psychologist and head of talent development for successful Silicon Valley companies like Zendesk, Credit Karma, and Flexpot. Their lessons led her to develop something proprietary, which she leverages to help other clients understand why the change they want isn't being embraced and what they need to do in instead. She's got all kinds of credentials, everything from a master's degree in org psych from Columbia University and a bachelor's degree in communication and creative writing from Northwestern. Most of all, her desire, her passion for helping people through change and successfully complete change is driven by her desire to teach and help other people succeed. In a world of constant change, Lindsay, somebody you need to have in your pocket. With that, hey, Lindsay, what's going on? Hey, Denise, how are you? Thanks so much for having me on and what a what a lovely introduction. Thank you. Hey, it's my pleasure. I enjoyed our conversations before we started recording and getting to know you. And I can't wait till we dive into this topic, which I don't know. I think for the last like 40 years, we have been going back and forth, studying, unstudying, coming up with best practices, all of that on change and how you implement change. But we don't really talk about the sticking part, right? <laughs> and we need to start figuring out the other side of this, this matrix here of starting it, doing it, and then not recreating it every two years or three years or whatever, right? Yeah, I think we all know how that dance goes. I just want to say a thank you to Julia Sloan, someone that you know that's been on your podcast and a dear mentor and professor of mine who, who made this possible. So thank you to her. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Change is happening all the time. We know that we have to keep changing in order to not be stagnant in our companies. But in my research and my work, you know, what, what I tend to see is we tend to, spoke, to focus on the what, what we want to change, the content, and not so much how we'll bring that change to people. Like you said, how it will stick. And so my work is really focused on the communication of that change. So people remember it, retain it, and are motivated to do something differently. Yeah. So this is going to be a deep dive and rich discussion, and I'm hoping I'm not going to geek out too much, but my I love geeking out. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So before we get too far, tell us something about you, your background and your love and passion. And, you know, people think that you start out, you know, getting into college and then you just create this career and we're finding out that that just doesn't happen. So how did you jump from television and entertainment into this work? And tell us the juicy, juicy, juicy behind the scenes on <laughs> entertainment work, right? <laughs> Not the negative, the good stuff. Yeah, just the good stuff. Yeah, this was my plan all along. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't think people really know going forward what how life will unfold until they look backwards and see, oh, it all actually made sense. Yeah, when I was young, I mean, my whole career, I've been interested in people and how they change and have always used writing as the tool to understand it. And so for a long time, I thought I wanted to develop characters on a page and think about how to help people get from A to B, who do they need to meet, what do they need to say, what experiences should they have, and then sort of realized a couple of years into my journey that 
I was missing something and found my way into learning and development where I was using some of the similar muscles of observation and empathy and writing, but creating experiences that develop people in real life. So once I realized there was someone behind the scenes who was scripting these leadership classes or these workshops or these experiences, I thought, ah, that's interesting and found the impact there was much more fruitful. And then sort of broaden that to think about how do I help entire organizations develop and change? Because, you know, they're a collection of individuals. So I can't say I planned this, but it wouldn't happen any other way. Oh, my goodness. Did you think when you were in that job, did you understand this concept of being a change agent or influencer? When I was a writer? Yeah. A comedy writer? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, and I didn't even know this was a career. When I was in college, I don't think, I didn't know what organizational psychology was. I didn't know what learning and development was. It wasn't until, you know, I I saw a book in the library where I worked at DreamWorks Animation. And the woman who wrote that book, Kat Coppett, who's a friend of mine now, she actually, you know, listed on her bio, she got a master's degree in organizational psychology from Columbia. And it clicked for me in that moment of that was the missing piece for me. So no, I didn't, I didn't understand that at all, but I just knew I was fascinated by how people change and grow, but the application obviously has changed. Yeah. I think, I think people who find their passions stumble on them are are just, you know, wonderful folks who are really well-rounded because they know what they were. And I think it broadens them a little bit in terms of being able to see more things connect than uh, those folks who kind of, oh, I've always wanted to be this kind of thing. Yes, I suffered from the disease of being very closed-minded and knowing exactly what I wanted and then realized that my dream had changed. But the purpose, I think, had stayed the same. And now I credit the interdisciplinary background as actually being a strength because I'm able to see the connections between hopefully we'll talk about entertainment, education, and business to ladder them up to thinking about gatherings as a whole. So, so yes, I agree that well-rounded sort of eyes wide open, thinking about possibilities, connections only comes from having a variety of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So there's your career advice today, everybody. (laughs) Well-rounded, interconnected, interdisciplinary ideas and thinking and career path is what really makes you a stellar performer. Well, you know what, that's, that's a great segue. I know it doesn't seem like it, but it is a great segue to, you know, what seems like a really obvious question. Um, Why doesn't change stick? And why don't leaders in particular do better at managing change? Yeah, that's interesting. So I think We tend to, or or I'm interested in looking at the most popular and common tool that we use to make change happen in companies as sort of understanding the symptom of why change does or doesn't stick. And and for that, I rely on gatherings. And gatherings are happening all the time in our companies. There are things like town halls, all hands, workshops, offsites, conferences, webinars, et cetera. Um, I found they're the most common tool to spark movement or change when we're basically matching a message with a moment to create an effect in other people, whether that's to help them comply or inform or be entertained or be engaged. So what I talk about with folks is let's understand this tool of gathering because actually the same characteristics that make a gathering stick actually make change stick. And we can talk about that in just a second. 
But to answer your question, I think why it's so hard or why it doesn't stick, two, two reasons, and I'm sure you've got answers as well, but to know what you think. One is, I think we tend to focus on the production of the change, so the slide deck, or what we're going to say, or what's going to happen, or what's in the binder, and not the consumption. So how people will take it up, how they'll feel, how it will affect them, how they'll remember it, what's happening in the environment that makes people either want to or not want to listen or do anything differently. And so the thesis of all of my work is that, you know, we don't change because of content. We change because of our connection to the content. And so a leader's job is really about creating the conditions for that connection to happen. It's, you know, we talk about, or I, maybe many of the organizations I did talk about the whole idea of before we even start deciding what the meeting should look like, what do we want people to do, say, and feel after the meeting kind of, and sometimes we did well. And sometimes, you know, we didn't hit the mark all the time. And a lot of it has to do with what you said before about really understanding what would make someone not connect to it. So what are those undiscussables in an environment? that cause us to go, yeah, I heard this before, or that doesn't make sense, or I don't believe you. It's that stuff that's happening in the culture that causes people to doubt executives when they say, this is where we're going to go. I think some of it and quite a bit of it has to do with the fact that, at least from my perspective, I meet a lot of people, executives included, that think that they have to be the hero, you know, this whole hero worshiping leader where they have to have all the answers, whatever they say we have to do, they present it as a non-negotiable, this is the direction we're going to go, and then life happens. You know, it's kind of like what I started this with of, you know, who would have known we'd be going through the great resignation? And the reality is, is that in January, you might have everybody, but during the year, when you have high turnover, capacity goes down. And we don't ever think about that. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, our model of heroes and communication resulting? I mean, when people are, which have been your experience of when people are really talking about change and thinking about it? That's such an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, so I can give people all the tactics in the world, right? But Underneath those tactics is our mindset about what we believe about the people in the organization. Mm -hmm. And that can reveal a lot. It can reveal why change is hard. It can reveal why people may be complying, but not engaging. And I think it boils down to two differences in mindset. One, like you said, do I believe my job when I'm gathering people or introducing a change is that I'm the hero, people need me, I have the answer. And I have to force this change, or do I believe that the people in my organization are already capable and whole and that they have the answer? And the way I sort of feel about the people I've gathered determines how I will approach that change. Mm-hmm. And I could, it's easy to spot that now. At a broader level, it shapes an entire culture. And so what I see is you know, differences in compliance cultures versus engaging cultures because of this mindset that perpetuates the leadership of the organization. So what's the difference that you see between engaging and compliance? We say that all the time, but isn't there compliance even in engaging cultures? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, well, maybe maybe it's helpful just to sort of take a step back and 
give people a bit of this common language of, of the, the model that I use. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, you know, when we have a, a gathering to define, you know, the purpose, I call that the effect, right? And there's four different effects that we can have. One is comply, so people take an action. And that's kind of our typical gathering in companies. A lot of them feel like compliance. A second is to inform. So share information probably feels like a class we had in college. A third is to entertain, right? Which is I'm going to bring about a sense of delight, probably feels like a comedy show. And then the fourth is to engage, which means to generate thinking or ownership or buy-in, potentially some behavior change. And the same gathering, the same company meeting, you know, the same college class, the same comedy show, whatever, can be can lead to different effects depending on the choices that we make. Mm-hmm. And so depending on what people want to achieve, and that's the first step clarifying that, I help people make different choices that ideally lead to different effects. Your question on the difference between comply and engage, well, it's two different, uh, two different approaches. Comply is very much the sense of push and one size fits all. So if I'm sort of an employee or a participant in that gathering or that change effort, push means it will feel as though something's being done to me and not with me. It'll Mm -hmm. all be very passive. I won't have a lot of control. Maybe it's mandatory. And one size fits all means I'm sort of feeling invisible. This could be about anyone. There's no reason for me to be there. Now think about sort of our typical webinars that has a very one size fits all feeling. The difference of engaging, I think we hopefully we all had this feeling. If we haven't, then, you know, want to help you create it. But we, when it's pull, we are active. We are creating, co-creating. We are a part of the experience that's being done with us. This is why comedians have an audience. They need them. That's why, you know, comedy or entertaining is pull. Mm -hmm. Personalization, it's being made about me. There's something unique. My contribution is important and I feel seen and visible. So there's some unique part that I play to the success of not only this gathering, but this change effort. And, you know, again, we can make pull and, and personalized choices, or we can make one size fits all and push choices. But oftentimes the difference is that employees will perceive a gathering as, as, as comply, but leadership thinks that it's being engaging, but it's not. And so understanding that gap, not to your, your podcast title, closing the gap, <laughs> means first having a, awareness of why that is. So hopefully this common language can bring change down to sort of layman's terms mm-hmm. and help people communicate what, what might be missing in their organizations. Mm-hmm. So is, is that, so is this idea of compliance, as you've talked about it, it's kind of like people are just there consuming information. I think in one of your articles, you talked about butts in the seat kind of thinking of I'm not interacting. It's like going to a movie, you know, a two-dimensional movie versus a, you know, the iMac kind of thing that we have now. And you're just waiting for the next presentation versus this interactivity. What have you seen in terms of, because we still have, we're probably in a hybrid world and going to be in a kind of hybrid world, which means some people are going to be in a co-located, co-located space. They're all going to be in the same building or office that kind, or a meeting room, but others are going to be viewing in through something like Zoom or Teams or, you know, go to meetings or something like that. What, how has that changed our, or your idea of, this, of, of how change sticks and the effect? Yeah, so I would say... 
you know, when the pandemic started, I thought, well, there, there goes gathering. There goes this idea in a way, but over a little bit of time sort of realized that thesis applies no matter what channel we're talking about, because mm-hmm. it's easy to blame technology. And I think, you know, I blame it too sometimes, but behind Zoom is someone deciding how to use it. So just because someone is watching on a screen doesn't mean that they can't be contributing, that they can't have a role, that we can't pull them in. I think it's it's too easy to say, well, it's too hard on Zoom, so we'll just force this change out. I think that's unfortunate and short-sighted. And so, yeah, my work is channel agnostic because it's really a communication method, not a not a digital tool that's the blocker. What would be a successful, let's say, hybrid meeting? I mean, what would you... What would be some concrete things that you would walk the the sponsors, leaders, et cetera, through so that they could, so they, as they're talking to you, they could visualize too, what must I do differently? Or what must I do, period? Because sometimes I don't think they even did it when people were together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the... The most common piece of advice I give hybrid meetings, and I think this may apply more broadly, is a motto that's called pull together and push apart. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes the challenge with hybrid meetings is should I even have them, (laughs) which is a challenge for all of our gatherings, really. Mm -hmm. But pulling people together is costly, takes time, effort, et cetera. So if I'm deciding whether or not I should even have a gathering, where it needs to be synchronous and happening at the same time, what I have people consider is if it's a push gathering, meaning it's meant to simply inform or comply, you can push apart, meaning you can do that asynchronously. You can send an email. You can have something people watch. You can do that on their own time. What is worth the bang for your buck is when you want engagement or entertainment, when you want to pull need people's contribution, need their their ideas and their insights and want to give them a role. So that's a simple model that I follow. And, and, you know, my background in comedy really reminds me, again, a comedian needs an audience Mm -hmm. and they show them why they're there. Their laughter is important. They play an important role. So if you're not showing people that you need them there, if they're invisible through the screen, you don't need to have a gathering anyway. So that's that's where I would start in terms of hybrid gatherings. And then a second piece of advice is to over-index on the remote experience versus the in-person experience. And we often sort of in, unintentionally create fault lines or different strata or statuses between who's in person and who's not. And I really suggest that you over-index on, on who is not present in the room. Mm-hmm. So Lindsay, Thinking about, you know, the content of what has to go on, what would a leader say? How would they think about their presentation and the, maybe the strategy of what gets presented during this time? If they were, let's, let's make it a little bit more concrete, say an organization is about to be go to market with a new product and they want everyone to understand that. And there's been skepticism as to whether it's going to happen or not happen. And we don't really want the heroic leader, per se, the guy or lady who has all the answers. We really want more of an engaging, entertaining kind of meeting. What would be some things that they would want to say or do so that, you know, how they need to stand, how they need to present, whatever whatever you're thinking, what would they need to be thinking about? 
Yeah, so I think you mentioned the first step, which is to clarify the effect. So what do we need from the people that we're trying to affect? If we need engagement, if we need ownership, buying, commitment, et cetera, and I would caution, we may think that's what we want all the time. We really don't need engagement all the time for every change effort. It's how we get change fatigue. That's not necessary. Sometimes people just want compliance. They want to be told what to do. For example, you know, if I need to just update my my information in the in the system. I don't need a big rah-rah. I can just send an email, say, please do this. So I really caution against what needs to be about engagement. But if we do need engagement, we talked about creating the conditions for that change to stick. And maybe I'll, I'll go through those five if that's helpful to you. Okay. Now. Yep. So the first is to see and recognize your audience or your employees. So oftentimes when we're thinking about introducing change, we think about you know, what our need is, mm. what we care about, but we don't think about what's at stake for our employees. Mm. So do you know the needs of the people that are in the room? What might they care about? What's important to them? I think these are just questions that people should ask themselves. And the second is to make it just for them. So we talked about this notion of personalization. How do I show people that I'm listening to them? Even if I've done the same speech a hundred times, that I make it feel like it's made just for them? I think you know, one way I've seen people do this is just to match the reaction that people have, you know, when a favorite comedian, you know, said something that an audience went like, Ooh, he's like, yeah, I know. And that's just a simple way of showing people that you're paying attention to them and that their reactions and their, their feedback matters. The third, and this is, I think one of the key components of change in general is to give people ownership. The old, Organizational development adage of involvement leads towards commitment is really true here. And so many gatherings, especially the passive push ones, we don't have any stake in its success. We don't have any ownership. We're just sort of along for the ride. So how can you give people a role? How do you give them skin in the game? So it could be something like, hey, as you're going through the presentation today, pay attention to you know two things that stand out to you. We'll ask you after this gathering or you know, just something that sort of shows that you need people's efforts and energy and ideas. The fourth is to connect to a universal concept. So, you know, what's the thing that we can all nod our head about that we all agree is important. So if I'm introducing, you know, a new performance management system, that's, that's a tool, not an outcome. What does it give us? Well, may give us transparency or clarity. Oh, okay. Well, that's a universal concept that people can understand. That makes people nod their heads a bit more than just talking about the tool itself. And then the fifth is to allow agency and choice, which is, you know, goes back to the who's the hero and how do we treat people? Allowing agency and choice is about treating people, your employees as adults, because they are, <laughs> which means that even if something is mandatory, or they have to be at your gathering or your change effort is you know, mandatory. How can you elevate their status, give them a sense of choice? You know, parents do this all the time. A kid has to eat a piece of fruit, but they can choose between an apple and an orange. Mm. So it's, it's these sort of choices that aren't necessarily going through the slide deck and sort of going through word by word. It's these content agnostic choices that we can make when we gather that help people feel important and seen and recognized and and want to help and are motivated to be a part of the change effort versus forced to do so. 
does this model change that you've you've given us? Does it kind of does it work in areas where you know it 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 almost seems like it's a process versus just the gathering, I guess. And so it's it's kind of like I have to the gatherings themselves are part of the I don't want to say strategic plan, but maybe it is a strategic plan of dipping down. Here's a gathering because one of the things is I you know coach leaders is that communication is not a one-time event. And I think you mentioned that of, you know, we, I often say, you know, think of your favorite singer and the song that you absolutely love. Imagine how many times that person has to sing the same song the <laughs> same way over a 10 year career. And, and, and how many, you know, where they may have loved it in the beginning, but by the time they get to the 10th year, ugh, <laughs> they might be a little tired of that. And song, you can but- tell. Yeah, but but often isn't I've found that when particularly when you're going through gut wrenching or complicated change, that you do have to say it over and over again, but you also have to kind of monitor it how it's being said in the organization. Is that correct? Well, repetition is the key to success, as I like to say. It's a principle of adult learning, but it's also you know, change efforts when they are ours, we have the curse of knowledge that we know it's important. We know what it's about, but it takes a lot of repetition for people to have it sink in. So yeah, it requires sometimes doing the same speech a hundred times, but, but yeah, I think that the construct remains that you need to create the conditions in the room. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the content is, to make it feel as though it's being made just that one time that people have agency and ownership. The, the key difference here, I think I really want to point out is I'm not suggesting every time you do a speech, you start over and you create it new every time. And, you know, doesn't have to be off the shelf. No, it's not about that. It's about small choices that you make that make it feel as though it's this way. So, you know, the, the same comedian is doing the same routine every single night in a different city, but the ones who don't just entertain, but engage actually make it feel as though, you know, it's, it's a special one-time moment where you feel a part of the experience. Mm -hmm. And that's why these lessons apply across disciplines. But again, different choices create different effects. It's up to us to make different choices. Yeah. 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 So who would own like orchestrating this in an organization? Do do people bring you in or is this kind of the part of the strategy and you can have, should you have expectations that the strategy person be able to do that? Or is this something that we really should be adding to our leadership development curriculum? Well, that that would be great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was a leading question, wasn't it? (laughs) Uh, No, they should not. No, I think that um, I tend to work with chiefs of staff, people who are responsible for managing the CEO's change agenda or internal communications, learning development, HR, those, those folks. Um, I think two things there. One, sometimes people need to see that there is a, a problem or an awareness of a different, not a different way, but maybe, yeah, a different method. And that comes from recognizing the signals that something's a bit broken. Mm-hmm. So if we think it's about button seats and we're like, oh, everyone's here and that's our metric, you're not going to say we need some help. Mm-hmm. But underneath all of that are the signals and the diagnosis that, that this isn't landing. So part of it is just the awareness and the education around 
not what, it's how, it's not reactions, it's results. That's sort of the first step. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I think this is a communication skill that everyone can learn, whether or not you're the one on the stage. It's about how do I bring an idea to a group of people? How do I get people excited, interested? How do I produce an effect that gets other people to sort of rally around my content and, and want to share it with others. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I guess it, it should be something that we incorporate in leadership development in every company, but a lot of companies don't do leadership development at all. My lessons come from business. They okay. come from education. They come from entertainment. I mean, I've got, you know, pages and pages of different choices people can make by watching other folks who gather well. So, you know, I can give you a few examples that stand out to me. You know, one is I think organizational psychology royalty, Adam Grant, he, he's really good about when he gives these, these gatherings and these speeches about, about lowering his status. You Mm -hmm. know, he tends to say, when I watch him do a talk, whether it's, whether he's done it one or a hundred times, you know, yeah, I don't know the answer. I just teach this stuff or, you know, what do you all think? You know, that immediately calms a group to say, I want your opinion. I want your ideas. They feel like, oh, he, he needs me here. It changes the mood in the room completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, since we are talking about comedy, there's a comedian named Han- Hannah Gadsby. She has mm. amazing specials on Netflix. Have you, mm-hmm. do you know who she yeah. is? <laughs> Yeah. So she, she's a master, I, I believe at gathering and she had a special called Douglas that came out a few years ago. Yeah, and, and she's got a book went, that just landed. Yeah. 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 When, when I went to see her live, she did a brilliant thing. She came out on stage and she said in one line, Hey everyone. So my show is not done. I'm going to look to you to tell me what should be cut. I need your help. And thank you. Right. And so she basically say in one line, I see you. This is made just for you. I'm giving you ownership. I'm giving you choice. Like I need your input. I need your ideas. Your laughter is going to help me. And immediately people felt like I have a role and I'm pulled to pay attention. Mm-hmm. So again, it's not about changing the content every single time. It's about mm-hmm. these small choices with the caveat that it's done from good intentions, right? Mm-hmm. And from a, a mindset of really wanting that support and not just mm-hmm. sort of playing the game. Mm-hmm. And again, that can that can have drastic effects in the the stickiness of your gathering, but also yeah, the, the, the impact on it for, for days and years to come. Great, great. Well, unfortunately, we're at the end of it. And I think that's a perfect one. I love Hannah. I can't wait till her next special comes out, which I understand is about to roll out. And I may thank you for reminding me about her book, because when you said it, I was like, oh, wait a minute, she had this book that just popped in the last couple of, you know, this season. And so I need to kind of, and maybe even by the time this podcast gets out, <laughs> I will have that one read or at least listened to in my travels out of this. How can people get a hold of you if they want to dig deeper into this concept? Yeah, thanks for asking. Folks can find me at my website, which is gatheringeffect.com mm-hmm. or the same, same address, lindsaykaplan.com. And yeah, I'd love to connect. So thanks. Yeah. Great. Thanks for that. Great, great. And everybody in the show notes, you'll be able to click on. If you haven't signed up or at least popped on the subscribe, please do so, so that you will not miss another episode of Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. It would mean the world to me if you would listen to it and follow me. And also, I I just want to take a moment to 
let you all know how grateful I am for you showing up for me every week. And you know what I always say, if you love this, pass it on. If you didn't love it, pass it on again, because I promise you it will generate a conversation that really will help you think through the toughest problems you have and ultimately close the gap. And with that, see ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.